We'll break in at verse 12, Mark 11. I'll read through to verse 26. It's all here, the Lord's word. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursedst is withered away. And Jesus, answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, Believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught also against any, for that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. And God will bless the reading of his word for his name's sake. Can we bow our heads together for a moment, please? Let's all pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee. We've had in the hearing of our ears the word of God read this evening. We thank thee we have before us a book that is nothing but truth. Thou canst not lie, thou canst not deceive thy people. We thank thee, Lord, we have come to the throne of grace, the place thou hast taught us to obtain mercy, mercy for our sins, and grace to help us for our many weaknesses. We thank thee at thy right hand, we have a great and glorious and never-failing high priest whose intercession for his people always secures thy will for them. And tonight, Lord, we believe that there is certainly a plan thou hast in place for this meeting, for this gathering. Thou dost look into these hearts of ours. Thou dost know just what we need to hear. 
by way of truth. Now let us know the things, Lord, that the Spirit of God needs to bring home with power to our souls. Use this time in thy word to prepare us to seek the Lord, to ask and to seek and to knock, convinced that waiting time in prayer is not wasted time. Indeed, Lord, it is the strength of thy people on a personal level and the strength of any church. So, Lord, help us to pray in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Verse 24, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Christ can't lie. He was stating absolute truth. What things soever ye desire, when ye ask, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. I know that we all believe tonight here that the Bible is God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. We don't for a moment accept the, the wicked notion that the Bible is a compilation of fairy tales and stories trumped up by men passed on down for centuries. Every one of us would state dogmatically that we believe this is the very word of God and so much so that we have actually uh, staked our eternal destiny upon what's written in this book. That's serious stuff because it's a long eternity. It's a long eternity. But what happens to all of our strong dogmatic stands and our beliefs on the infallibility and the inerrancy and the, the truthfulness of God's word, when we come to verses like the text I just read we're considering this evening, we believe it's infallible. It's sure. It's, it's the truth. I mean, do, do you really believe that verse? Whatever we ask, whatever we desire, if we believe that we have it when we ask for it, that we receive it, we will get it. If you really believe it, have you received everything that you've asked for in prayer following that text? That's what he says. Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe that you received it. And you'll have it. What about half of what you've asked for? What about a quarter of what you've asked for? You see, I believe that this is one of the most encouraging texts in God's Word on the power of prayer. This, this text exudes the truth that there's power with God in the place of prayer. Power that you and I, I don't think have ever tapped into. This is a broad, broad promise. What thanks soever, 
ye shall have them. So the question that probably is begging to be asked, why, why not, why haven't we received those things that we've desired? We've been earnest. We've, I mean, that's part of the deal here. You know, it's, you've got to really desire them. That desire is a very strong word. It's not just something, well, I like to have this, I like to have that. This is something you really, really want in your soul. And you've got to come in faith. That's the key here. You believe. Believing you receive them, they're yours. And of course, you know the bigger context is the, they're astounded because the, the, the fig tree is all dried up from the roots, and that just blew their minds away. And the Lord says, well, have faith in God. You wouldn't be astounded by what just happened if you had faith in... Now, they did have faith in God, right? They were believers. But there was a different level of faith that was not there with them where they wouldn't be so shocked that their master just cursed the fig tree that was dried up from the roots. Why? Why do we not experience more of what Christ has promised and in that verse. I believe that the verse has the answer itself. And so what I want to look at this evening before we pray is underscored by that word when. When. When you pray. When. Two thoughts, basically. In the first place, it teaches us that Christ has an expectation of his people in prayer. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. He expects his people to pray for several reasons. And there's, there's many, I'm just going to give you a handful of them, but there's a lot of reasons. He expects us to pray. He expects us to pray privately. He expects, expects his people to pray publicly. In, in, in the very context, he says about his house, it shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and that's public praying. He expects that. Why? Well, because in the first place, the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood to cover our sins, to atone for our sins, every last one of them, in order that we might be able to have access to God in prayer. It's, it's, the, it's the blood atonement that takes care of the sin that separates us from God. And there's not a day, and excuse me, I'm going to get out of this jacket because it's warm in here. There's not a day, not a day that goes by where you and I don't sin in word and thought and deed. Look at how good you are at walking the walk. You sin today. You uh, and I probably aren't aware of half of the sins we committed today. We, we are not going to live perfect lives this side of glory, and you know that. So the sins of ignorance, the sins of omission, thoughts, all those things. So there's always the sin problem, but there's always this atonement that has dealt with the issue so that we can actually go to the Lord in prayer and have fellowship with him. This is about fellowship. 
I mean, the Lord shed his blood, yes, to, to save us from our sins, but ultimately it's what? That he's going to bring us to glory, that we might enjoy fellowship with him forever. And this side of heaven is all about that, really, us getting able to go into him and pray. And so, you know, if, if I paid the price, if there was something that I did for one of my children and it cost me a great deal to give them that, that privilege then I would expect certain things from them. I just would expect it. So the Lord, it's quite understandable that Jesus Christ would want us to come and to pray. He's also told us plainly that apart from holding fellowship with him, praying unto him, we can do nothing. Without me, he can do nothing. Nothing. Not one little thing without him. Knowing that, well, I understand why he expects us to pray. When you pray, not if. Because you can't do a thing. You can't win one battle over sin. You can't do one useful work for me. You can't have one good thought apart from me. You need me completely. And if you need me this badly, then you need to pray. It's also he's given us his Holy Spirit, which leads the Lord's people to pray. He knows that. He hath sent forth his Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit of adoption. There's, there's a reason why it's so natural for his children to call him Father. It's just as natural. Because why? Because the Holy Ghost is in us. The Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's not daddy, by the way. Don't, don't think that. He expects it. It's also because prayer is his divinely appointed means for obtaining this grace and this mercy that you and I both know we need. We, we're convinced we, we cannot make it without mercy for our sins. We cannot make it. We have no power to do anything apart from grace. And grace looks beyond our faults and sees what our needs actually are. It enables us to do, for, well, let me back up. We become the vessels through which God can do great things. And he can do great things through us and for us and in us, in us, because we are brought to this, what has been known for millennia as a means of grace, as the channel of grace for our souls. That's what prayer is. It's the pipeline, if I can put it like that, and we want the pipeline to be open wide so that grace flows into our hearts. And when we don't pray, the pipeline is not getting all that, spiritual power and strength and wisdom and help that we could get. You know what happens when you ignore the place of prayer. You know what happens. You go cold, callous, carnal, worldly. You lose the desire, the deep desire for those spiritual things. You become taken up with temporal things. So the Lord expects us to pray. Ultimately, he 
expects his people to pray because it, the Christian life is all about glorifying God. From start to finish, this whole thing is about glorifying him. It's not about us. It's about glorifying him. And there's, there's, there's nothing like getting on your face before the Lord in prayer and crying out to him and confessing your nothingness and his greatness that so glorifies him. Lord, you're glorious. I am so feeble and weak, but you've shown me mercy. You've had pity on me, and I want to thank you and praise you all my days. I understand. We understand why the Lord wants us to pray. But for all these reasons, and, and we could go on for some time, we act sometimes as if we would rather take a beating than pray. Just suppose, as one old divine suggested, just suppose that everybody on this earth had been left to perish in their sin and misery. That's a scenario. Suppose for a moment that all that we had to look forward to was the coming judgment and being cast into hell. There was no salvation, no escape, no remedy. And then suppose we were told that there was another race of equally sinful and miserable men exactly like us on one of those planets way up there in space. And suppose we were told also that this race of people, for them, their creator had prepared his throne in heaven so that all they had to simply do was to come to his throne and, and bow their knee and, and they would get his ear anytime, day or night. Now, if that, if that had been told us who were here in this earth and we knew there was no, no salvation, it was nothing but judgment awaiting us, do you not think we would have gone out on more than one occasion and looked up at that planet in the heavens and say, oh, I wish I was there. I wish I was among them. Why, we would have asked ourselves, time without number, why couldn't this have happened to us? What seasons of prayer they must enjoy. What family worship must go on. How happy it must be for fathers and mothers and children up there. But suppose, just suppose, we were also told with absolute certainty that these very, very same people despised and neglected their Creator and their Redeemer and refused to bow their knee to him, refused to call upon him. Suppose that we were assured that 99 out of every 100 of those redeemed men actually arose every early morning and they lay down at night as if there wasn't a God, as if there was no mercy seat. 
What would you have said about such men? Well, you'd had to have said they must be absolutely insane and out of their minds. But truth be known, it describes us. It describes God's people on this earth. Because that's really what goes on. We're the ones who say, what is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit should we have if we pray to Him? Now, if all that's true, why is it true? Well, you have to... <laughs> you have to end up honestly confessing that there, there is this unaccountable alienation in our hearts from God. It's there. There's, there, there's some... I call him Satan's ally... The, the Word of God calls it the old man or the flesh. But there is this iniquity within us that has never been removed. We willingly, and you think about how insane this is, because we know different, we willingly commit spiritual suicide because prayerlessness will kill the spiritual life like nothing else can. Nothing else like prayerlessness. Like getting up, going throughout our day, coming back home, going to bed, and hardly giving a thought to prayer. That's spiritual suicide. Our everyday actions speak far louder than our words on this matter of prayer. There's a certain backwardness in prayer that every honest believer will confess. Even the best of godly men have this struggle. Puritan Jeremy Taylor, he said, There is no worse sign of our spiritual danger than the backwardness we have to pray. So weary are we of the duty, so glad are we to have it over, and so witty are we to find an excuse to evade it. When I read that, I just said, wow. There's the Puritan, and he has just nailed it. This is how it is. These are the words, exact words of John Newton in one of his works, Cart Cartophonia. I find in my own case an unaccountable backwardness to pray. I can read, I can write, I can converse with a ready will, but secret prayer is far more spiritual than any of these. And the more spiritual any duty is, the more my carnal heart is apt to start away from it. So here are two very godly men, prayerful men, who confess to a sad backwardness to pray. Now, you'll understand that if this is the case, and it is, how difficult it is for the average Joe, if I can call a common believer like that, the average Joe, 
to put his whole heart into prayer, even when he constrains himself to pray. And yet the Word of God teaches us, as we'll see in the text, if the whole heart is not in it, it's not really praying. It's this need we have of seeking the Lord with the whole heart that we have assurance from Him that we'll find Him. The men of Judah entered into a covenant to seek God with their whole heart. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought Him with their whole desire, and He was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. The psalmist speaks of those who seek the Lord with a whole heart, They find God. Psalm 119, David said, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Notice how he joins the whole heart, seeking God with the whole heart, with not wandering from the commandments. And again, God said in Jeremiah 29, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. That's all wrapped up in this promise in this text. Brothers and sisters, it is one of the great difficulties in the life of prayer because it demands from us our whole heart. Not half-heartedness, but we've put our whole soul into it. The thing that we're desiring, we want it with a whole heart because we want it to glorify the Lord not just because we think it's going to make us happy, because it's all about Him. So the question comes up, how do we, how do we meet this expectation of Christ of His people in prayer? That's the two thoughts. It's the second one. How, how do we overcome, you and I, this? We have it, and I mean, we could spend a lot of time just going over men of God who have, express this same backwardness to prayer. I mean, you, when you find Edward Payson doing it, I don't know if you know who Edward Payson is. New England praying Payson. He was known for his power in prayer. And yet you find him lamenting the same thing about his backwardness to pray. How do we, how do we deal with it? How do we overcome the backwardness because I don't believe for one moment. I, I think it's probably the one thing above all others that the people of God uh, lament is the prayer life. When you, when you read of what God's people have done sheerly through prayer. When you read what, whether it's old women in the Lewis revival, just two old ladies coming and calling and pleading with God and revival comes, or you, sh you think of the young children praying in the 59 revival in Ulster, it doesn't, just the, what can be done through prayer? And yet we're like those people in that foreign planet we, uh, as... Um, Jeremy Taylor said 
we're, we become very witty at giving reasons why we can't pray, and why we can't stay on our knees, and why we've got to go off and rush and do this and do that and not pray. So how do we, how do we deal with it? First off, we think. We have to think. You ever go on the prayer, mindless? Okay, it's time for devotions. And you haven't really given much thought to what you're doing. And I just, uh, it's my routine, I'm, I'm here to go pray now. David said in Psalm 119, I thought of my ways and turned my feet into thy testimonies. And that's what we have to do. The same thing when it comes to prayer, to think upon our ways. Let's just think on our ways in prayer. Think about the place that prayer holds in God's word. Instead of just rushing into it now, I've got to take the time to think here. What is the place, what's, what's the honor that God places on the place of prayer in his word? Don't you know that if that was just that thought alone was really laid hold of by the Lord's people in churches across our, I'm talking about Bible-believing churches that believe this book is the book of God, how the prayer meetings would be packed out if they just thought that the, the honor that the Lord places upon prayer can't get away from that. It's just, it's just talk full. Think about the place that prayer is, has held in the lives of the eminent saints of God. Read the biographies. If you don't have a good selection of biographies in your library, shame on you. You need to get them, but you'll find in every one of them what the Lord did through them and for them in the place of prayer. There's no easy out here, folks. There's, there's, there's no... There's no fast food Christianity. There's no shortcuts. It was Alan Cairns who preached a message years, decades ago now. You should, if you haven't listened to it, look it up on Sermon Audio and take the time Little prayer, little blessing. Much prayer, much blessing. No prayer, no blessing. It's well worth a listen to. And that's the fact. He told us in seminary, it was called the hall in my day, what you are in prayer, you are. Whatever you are in prayer, you are. We have to think about that. It can't be a mindless thing that we do. Think about the urgency of the Lord. Pray, pray. It's, it's, the Lord say, call unto me, call unto me. He tells Jeremiah this. Call unto me, Jeremiah. Pray unto me. I'll answer you. But you've got to pray. Ask and seek and knock. I mean, how, how many instances can you find in Scripture where it was through wrestling with God in prayer that the blessing was obtained? Jacob Benile comes to mind right away. How often do you and I wrestle? To him comes to mind how long has it been since you've talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you've prayed? How long since you've stayed on your knees till the light shone through? 
when you think about the Almighty, this, this glorious Creator Savior waits patiently for us to come and to pray unto Him. Longs, pleads with us, pleads with us. We need to think. We really need to think about how he looks upon us and why he so much desires us to come and to pray unto him. If we just thought upon those things a bit more, we would more often cry to God for the spirit of grace and supplication. A second thing, not just think, but persevere. Never, 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 never give up in prayer. And the more difficulty you find getting to the place of prayer, the more you must persevere. The harder it gets, the more you must give yourself, I've got to get there. And even, even when you begin to pray and it seems like the heavens are brass and the Lord's not listening and the words aren't coming and your heart is so cold, you just keep on praying. I can tell you, there's been many occasions when I've gone to my knees reluctantly and my heart has been as cold as ice. I knew I had to pray. It was duty for me. And it was almost as if I was about, this is just a waste of time. There's no point. The Lord's not listening and I can give him a thousand reasons why he shouldn't hear me. But I just kept on. And the Lord drew near. And it became a Bethel. God just drew close. All because there was a perseverance. wonder how many churches quit their prayer meetings because they gave up in prayer. Nobody coming, what's the point? The Lord's not going to answer. I'll tell you something else along these lines of perseverance. We must persevere in times whether or not we feel something in prayer. I, I'm, you know, maybe you already know this, I'm kind of an emotional kind of guy. I really get into my, that's the way I'm with praying. I really like to weep before the Lord. I don't have to try. But you can fall into a trap where you think you haven't met with God because you have no feeling. It's just been, well, I did my duty. When the members of his parish came and complained how they had lacked great spiritual joy and sweetness in prayer. Here's what Samuel Rutherford said to them. The less sweetness in prayer, the more spirituality. I believe, he wrote, that many think that prayer is formal and lifeless unless all their sails are filled with spiritual joy. But I am not of their mind who so think. The less sweetness in prayer, the more spirituality. 
You see, when you're praying on without feeling, you're praying in faith. Because you're not trusting in your feeling that you have in prayer. You're trusting in God's word in the place of prayer. You call unto me, and I'll hear your call, and I will answer. He doesn't say you've got to feel something. So that's why you persevere in prayer, whether or not you have the tears, whether or not your heart is bursting with joy. The Lord says, call unto me. That's my expectation. Believe that I'm there and I'm listening and I know exactly what you need before you ask me. You just pray and trust me. Persevere. Thirdly, always make hay while the sun shines. You have hay out here, don't you? I just don't know something. I saw cotton the other day. I said, cotton in Arizona? I never... When cotton balls get a rotten, you can't see very much cotton. But that was about the south, and I didn't think I'd see them out here. But there's a, there's a very real element of this in the place of prayer, making hay when the sun shines. Moses, and the Lord descended and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And when Moses heard the name of the Lord, he made haste and bowed his head to the earth and worshipped God and said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, pardon our sin and iniquity, and take us for thine inheritance. You see, that was a time when the Lord, it's like, it's like Moses knew he had the ear of God. God was answering his prayer. Well, I've got his ear. I'm going to go back with something else and something else and something else and ask for great things. And that's the case, the same setting when he says, Lord, show me your glory. He made hay while the sun was shining. Sometimes it's like that, you know, you just have the ear of God. Many times... You just have to pray and ask and pray and ask, keep on praying and praying. But sometimes just, you want it? Here it is. You've got it. Fourthly, turn both your past sins and your present temptations to your own benefit in the place of prayer. David, when he said, my sin is ever before me, When he wrote that, he was engaged on the composition of his greatest psalm. He was mindful of his sin, but it wasn't the place of prayer. You want to know what Luther said? Good old Martin. He had this way of putting things. <laughs> I am always sinning. And I am always reading the epistle to the Romans. And I'm always praying. I'm always sinning, always reading Romans, justification, always praying. Those three put together. If you don't do that, if your sins and failures and the temptations that you're facing aren't used in the place of prayer to your own benefit, then that will just make you very backward to pray. Fifthly, set apart a special time and special place for prayer. Set a time, a special, apart a special time and place for prayer. I was out, 
when I was here last in August, I, I went from here to visit my daughter in Salt Lake City. And they were running a house there, and they talked about this room. They called it cold storage. I thought it was a fridge, you know. There's not, no, it's just a, it's a big empty room. And that's what they do in Salt Lake City. You know, the Mormons have to store up their goods in case there's some disaster. You know, like zombie apocalypse. It's, they've got this. And every house has this. They, they just built this new home in Salt Lake. And sure enough, you know, if you're going to sell the house down the road, you've got to think about Mormons going to want to buy it. They want a cold storage place. So there's this room that's cold storage. She asked if I wanted to sleep in there while I was uh, visiting this coming time around. I said, no, I'll pass on that one. But <laughs> what, what, what struck me was James Durham. He, he was a, best known for his commentary on the Song of Solomon, 19th century. He was a man of God who gave himself to much reading of study of God's word and, and prayer. And he had a study built for himself at the top of his stairs in his house in the country. And in that little chamber he built, he stole away and continually read and meditated on what he read and prayed. And in a very similar fashion, many believers during that time period in New England were accustomed to build their houses with a secret room for secret prayer. That's how it was done. Made me think about this cold storage. But it was a little prayer closet. They could just get away from any distraction, shut the door, no bother them, no one could hear them, and just pray. And one old divine looked on it as a sure sign of spiritual declension when they found out that the architects in New England got no orders to put the secret rooms into the houses they were building. I don't know if you can or can't, but we need to have a place that we can go to and there is no interruption. We can just cry our eyes out to God if we need to. We can shout if we need to. We can groan if we need to. Things that only the Lord will hear. No one else. No phone ringing. No text app going off telling you you've got a message that's going to draw your attention away. Just shut yourself in. That will certainly help us all to deal with the backwardness in prayer. The last thing, ask Christ continually to help you. We continually have this backwardness. It's something we're going to have to battle all the days of our life. What I must do is ask the Lord, help me, Lord. You know this is my weakness. You know this is the thing I have to fight for more than anything else. Lord, help me to pray. Give me a heart for prayer. Give me faith to believe. When you pray, he expects us to. And he will give us grace to do it. Even with all of our heart. R.C. Trench Prayer 
is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. And that's what we're about tonight. He's not reluctant. And we're laying hold of his willingness to answer. God write his word on our hearts for his name's sake.